I'm Murphy, John Murphy. And I'm Humes, Christian Humes. And you're listening to Watch Watch. <laughs> That's right. We have our mission from M. We're now setting off into the field, and we are covering James Bond for the next few weeks and beyond. And um, we are going to watch, hopefully, all the movies as much as we can. Uh, we're going to watch the, the first 10 books. We'll take yeah. a break for Game of Thrones, and then we're going to come back and then do more. That is true. Yes. I think that is the plan, right? Yes. Um, so, yeah. So, I've, I guess let's just break it in, get into it as far as each of our personal, I guess, uh, relationship with the material. Uh, you know, let's start with you, Christian. How long have you known Bond? I mean, I grew up with James Bond, Pierce Brosnan, James Bond. I know at some point or another, my parents had like Sean Connery ones on, but I don't really remember anything about it. Uh, GoldenEye, one of my favorite games growing up, great video game, uh, big fan of the Daniel Craig movies, at least every other one. Uh, I mean, that's about it. I remember there was like a young James Bond cartoon. Yeah, something there was like a, that. There was a young Bond fa- like thing they did. Um, yeah, I mean, it's it's... James Bond is one of the oldest movie properties, I think, that has been around that's still going. Um, you know, and I think it's one of those things that it's pretty much set the, uh, I think, the formula for a lot of action blockbuster movies. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I think this was a, this was the franchise that really kind of. He's the proto super spy. He is the one. Yeah, who's done but it. then you can also break that into superheroes other types of other things in oh which yeah you have a plot he laid the groundwork for a lot of modern fiction yeah yeah which is i think a very interesting thing to do and it's also interesting that we are kind of tying it into the original books by ian fleming because the books are a little bit are much different in a lot of ways <laughs> than yeah. some of these movies as we'll get to them <laughs> and they also show a lot of their time i mean this was written during the cold war era a lot of red scare a lot of very uh anti-eastern things a lot of anti-communist things a lot of anti-russian things which although eerily feels very modern in many ways <laughs> um also a lot of like racist sexist stuff but i mean it's a product of its time yeah, I mean, Ian Fleming was an old, racist, homophobic, sexist man. Right. That also, I think, was a decent, pretty good writer. <laughs> and knew how to, I think he captured the spy world pretty well. Yeah. And uh, I mean, it, culturally speaking, he represents the way people felt. People were very xenophobic. People were very sexist back then. But it, it wasn't uh, looked at as anything other than what the norm was at the time. Yeah. You know, like today he would stand out as like a a villainous character with the way he describes people from other cultures uh, and countries. But like in the time, like everyone, that's just the way people were not to excuse it. But no. Yeah, it's it's we it's good to address who he is and what he sort of represented with his writing, which was an old way of thinking and and talking about the world and other people and bond in some ways represents that um but at the same time i think also bond represents like you said it it represents a male fantasy in a lot of ways Uh, oh yeah uh you know but i it's it is spoken in some not saying truth but in the sense that spies have to infiltrate and become other people in in their own world so bond by necessity he has to be 
you know, he has to infiltrate, he has to sort of uh, sneak into certain organizations, he has to seduce people, both men and women, with his charm or with his sexuality. It's, it, that is something prevalent, I think, in reality. And we, and we still see that today, you know, speaking of Russians or spies, it's like the whole thing with the NRA and the Russian spy, like that, that woman yeah. basically did that, what Bond does. <laughs> yeah, it's insane. Um, I think what's most interesting about this, because we will talk about some of the books, uh, I have just read this. I'm, I'm going to read some of these. I'm not going to be able to read all of them, obviously, as we do this. Um, and we're primarily here talking about the movies, but it's nice to have those companion pieces. It's f- I'm glad that I've read this and you've read this and seen it because it's the first book in Casino the series. Casino Royale. That's what, we're, that's what we're talking about. Yeah, Casino Royale is the first book in the series, and it's also the first of the most modern Bond movies. So it's good because it's like nice to see how they updated the story and didn't bring along what they did bring along, what they didn't bring along. They surprisingly, for this being the first Ian Fleming book and then, and then sort of made sometime, you know, how many years later, uh, almost 50 years later, basically over 50 years, uh, surprising a lot of it is still there. Yeah. You know, structurally um between the book and the movie which i think is i think really cool and i think speaks to i think how interesting the book is but obviously then they update a lot of things and cut out a lot of the character aspects maybe possibly (laughs) of bond from the book to the movie um well i think what makes this movie so great i I just want to say also i love this movie it's a top 10 overall movie for me just in general i liked it a lot Uh, i especially liked seeing some of the actors i didn't realize were in it yeah, it's got a lot of great acting in it. Um, it's it's a really good. It's one of my favorite action movies overall. I think just the way this movie is directed by Martin Campbell, who I think is a really good director, despite directing Green Lantern right after this. Um, <laughs> which, oh gosh, which a lot, that's kind of kind of knocked his career off a little bit. But he he directed two of the best Bond movies, which was this film Casino Royale and Goldeneye. Yeah, um, so which are two really great action movies. And so he just has a really good way of handling the visual storytelling and making everything seem really clear. This was like in the, in the age of Jason Bourne, when everything is so like uptight or up, up close and, and quick cutting and everything's just so jarring. Like a lot of the action sequences are smooth. You get these like big shots mixed in with sort of very quick stuff going on. But I think there's a lot of really, really good stuff to watch here. So um, yeah, I, I had a blast rewatching this movie again. <laughs> I really enjoyed the action, although I have to say some of the the one like long action sequence is one of the only times in the movie where it loses me. Uh, and that's just partially because that's like, I think, my least favorite thing about James Bond. Not that I don't like it, but I like I like the cunning spy stuff more than the high energy action stuff. Um, I'll, I'll try to not make these comparisons too often. But I'll say that the Mission Impossible movies, as much as I like them versus like Bond, if you were to compare the two, I like the way they do action in the current Mission Impossible movies, like the big action scenes, like the chase kind of stuff better than the Bond stuff. But then Bond does all the other pieces better. Yeah, I, I would totally I actually agree with you there where it's like Mission Impossible where they get right is the the set pieces and the action, but they have yeah. very little character. And yeah. on the flip side, Bond is really good with character, but not necessarily is hit or miss with the action yeah the action is hit or miss and it, i don't think any of it's ever really bad the miss it just um sometimes i just think it goes on a little too long yeah like it, it, it but uh that being said this one is is one of the most consistent movies i really really liked 
rewatching this, having just read the book. So let's let's get into it. Yeah. So it opens with uh, most Bond movies open with a cold open, uh, which is in some some movies will be another mission uh, like this one or sometimes it's unrelated to the plot of the movie. Sometimes it is um, usually, but it is sort of like a, a brief moment and then you do like the main title. So um, what they did differently, this is the origin of Bond. So this is uh, before he's double O. Uh, and it's in black and white in, I think it's in Stockholm or some sort of snowy place, <laughs> sorry, place. And, um, uh, you know, Bond basically gets his first two kills. He basically, uh, he seeks out the, the mole that was feeding information out of MI6 to a contact. And so, uh, what'd you think about this scene? Uh, so, I mean, I was partially rewatching this stuff in mind with the, having just read the books. Now I was able to take myself back to when I first saw this movie and it was sort of a reboot of sorts, even though the producers out there say that these bonds are all like the same. That's just like asinine. So let's like not even pretend that that's a conceit that's happening. So the idea that this is the beginning of his narrative, I loved. I thought that was such a fun way to reboot it with the new bond and to see his first kills because the whole license to kill thing. And that made me think as an American, the whole concept of license to kill, not a big deal. Like, it's just murder is rampant in our country. With We have such bad gun control. Yeah. But if you think about this from the British standpoint, like, the police officers don't even, like, standard police officers don't have weapons yeah. because guns are banned in the UK. So once I thought about it from that perspective for a moment, I was like, oh, wow, that's actually, like, a big deal, license to kill, because their government, the way every, the oversight, it's just very different than uh, the cowboy sort of way that we do things here in america and i think that was a good way to introduce that whole concept it's very different than the way it happens in the book yeah i I forget a bit maybe since you read it more recently you can remind me reminding the audience about kind of the beginning a bit how it's different so i think so here's what's interesting about it is he he ends up meeting later with someone and then he discusses his first two kills and the first one was the easier one, and then the second one was the messy one, whereas in this it was the more of the reverse order. Um, but in the book, the way it goes is his first kill was easy. It was it was like a sniper shot. He was waiting for this guy. He, had, he and another agent were posted up waiting for this guy. They were set there for like two days, and when the time was ready, the first agent fires, which caused a hole in the bulletproof window, and then James takes the kill shot through the hole. And so it was like he was very far away. He didn't have to see the guy in the eyes. It was clean. It was easy. There's no mess. And then the second one is the same. So the bathroom is like the same. And it's the important one. And the way they shot that, I think they conveyed it really well. Uh, it was just interesting to see him in this, like his second kill is very up close and personal. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but he's able to, like you see, like after his first one, he's already overcome it. He's like disassociated himself from the from death already. Yeah, no, it's it's. It's great in that way. And also I love this the 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 basically the betrayer guy is like kind of describing how did it feel? And he's like, didn't feel like it. He basically bound lies. He's like, it was it was fine. Yeah. <laughs> and then he doesn't even let him finish before he shoots him. And he's like, you know, second one's gonna be is just fine too. <laughs> yeah. He's like, You're right, it was easier. Yeah. Um and you know, the the infamous thing with Bond, or I guess famous thing is the iconic gun barrel sequence that a lot of these movies open up with this one, yes. they naturally try to fit it in as to, it makes sense. Cause you're kind of like, when you watch the other bond films, you're kind of like, well, what is this? Like wh- what POV is this sort of opening for? And now it's like, Oh yeah, it makes sense. So the guy was pulling a gun on him and he hits him. He shoots him first. 
So right, that was great. Um, then does that go right into no? Uh, does that go into? Do we go in the main title? The song next? The music video. Yeah, the music, yeah, video. The music video is fine. Wait, yeah. What do you think, Chris Cornell? Rest in peace. Yeah, it's fine. I think it's fine. I think you don't really. It's interesting that you don't hear Bond is so synonymous with like a female singer song. That's that true. It's kind of interesting to hear a male singer in a male song, and the song itself is is okay, but actually it works really well with the score of the movie. Like David Arnold really matched it up perfectly. So when you actually re-listen to the song, you're like, oh, that's just like it fits perfectly in with the score. And I thought that's what's great about it. There were some things about the song intro that made me question like whether or not it's something they should continue to do. I know it's like a weird tradition, well, it, 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 but it feels so out of place now. Yeah, it stems from they used to have to do that. That was the old rules that all movies had to do. You had to put basically all your main above the line credits up front. Right. That's what George Lucas famously got in a lot of trouble for. Correct. Yeah. And so, but I think they did a good job of making it their thing now. And yeah, it is kind of as an audience member, we're so used to now action up front and being, you want to pace it really well and having to sit through like a two and a half minute song, like right away kind of takes you out of it a bit. But I I don't know. I think it's a fun little thing. I think it could be done well. I I honestly, and I could be totally wrong, I fully expect whatever the last Daniel Craig Bond movie is, like it'll probably be great, but I think whoever we get next, they're going to do a very more, I feel like the next Bond's going to be very modern and a lot more fun. I feel like, and I feel like there's a way they could reinvent those music things and keep doing them, but to make it better. I just, I feel like... That's the great thing about There's, Bond is he's constantly reinventing himself. So yeah, <laughs> uh, the the constant very much like the Doctor with all the different Bonds. Yeah, and also, but but just like tonally with the types of movies they're doing with the music. Uh, you know, I think after this we're gonna watch Live and Let Die, and that goes in a completely different direction. You know, yeah. that it did at the time. Although, so like, because I've watched that one already. Like, I watched the first two, and then we did. I gotta say that one has a great music video. We'll talk about oh, that. Yeah. But but that one is like one of the best songs that I could think of other than Skyfall. Yeah, whereas like Skyfall is a very mel- melancholy, slow song. Live and Let Die yeah. is such an upbeat, you know, action song, which is great. And this one, you know, my name is kind of in between that. You know, yeah, it's not terrible. It's just it was just fine. Yeah, and I just kind of wanted to get into the to the show. You yeah. know who I I think would make a great. Uh, I would love to see like Lord and Miller do James Bond. Uh, yeah, it would be too weird though. It could it could be too weird or it could be awesome. I don't know. Who knows? Maybe. Yeah. I feel I th- like it could be good though. I think given how campy it's got Bond has gotten in the past, uh, it, oh, it could work. That's true. It could work. Yeah, it could totally work. <laughs> uh, All right. So we get to the, the highlights of the movie, which is this whole opening after the main titles in Madagascar. Mm-hmm. Uh, I love this whole sequence. Yeah, the sequence is nuts. It's amazing. So the guy, so the bomb maker that Bond is chasing in this movie and this scene is the inventor of parkour. Uh, like, what? Yeah. And so that's how, that's that's kind of how the scene was born a bit. <laughs> or like he's one of the inventors, I guess. Um, While I watch this, I'm like, oh, this is totally of its time. Yeah. There's a, there's a few things in this movie where it's like, this is of 2005-ish <laughs> time. Later when they go to the body worlds, I'm like, oh yeah, that's very. Oh my gosh. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was thinking the same thing, which is, it's so funny to think that like, the Daniel Craig era has gone on so long and there's also been so few of them. Yeah. I mean, there's been some 
gaps in between. But yeah, Bond has kind of been sometimes a travel log for things of both of time and place. Um, and yeah, so parkour was really big at this time. Also, uh, we'll get to it, but when they replaced Baccarat with Texas Hold'em, uh, that's another thing that was... <laughs> oh, no, we're going we're gonna to talk about that. So that's yeah. one of the, the okay. couple things that I really want to talk about. Okay. Um, that's, like one of, that's like the biggest thing actually on my list, yeah. if I'm going to be honest. Here. Anyways, uh, uh, yeah, uh, action-wise, this is a great scene. I just want to... The one funny thing I point out, so like the scene opens with like the bomb maker. They're at this um, like pit where a mongoose is fighting a snake. And yeah. his like uh, bond is kind of perched up high, like overlooking the situation. And his partner's kind of more down by where the bomb maker is. And when his like partner fucks up and like chases him and drops his gun and the gun fires, Bond is still just kind of standing there, just watching. <laughs> and he doesn't actually start chasing him until the bomb maker is like out of the scene. <laughs> so this stuff's not really in the book. Why do you think this was added to the story? Like, do we really do we need to introduce like the villains like this? I think so. I think you need again. It's it's balancing story with you know stuff that's going to wow the audience. And I think because of the notable feedback this scene, this whole sequence has gotten, and how it's kind of still become a very iconic scene. Uh, I think it's good to have this stuff kind of spaced in and out of the movies. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. I mean, I enjoyed the whole thing. The parkour was nuts. And it did make me think, I actually, so this isn't the action sequence I was saying that like lost me, this action sequence, but it did make me think like, oh, they could, they could just be Tom Cruise doing this. It felt yeah. like such a not James Bond, like when he's go, when he's going up the crane, like when the crane like weights drop and he goes up, it's like, are you a super spy or are you like a super soldier right now? <laughs> yeah. Because you yeah. seem like a super soldier. Yeah. The way he runs through the drywall too and other things, it's like they make him seem like he's such a brute force of nature. But it was cool because it is like the Sean Connery, like I'm the big brutish, like yeah. UK, like kind of like bo British bulldog style bond. So it was a smart way, I think, maybe to introduce and and they, they show that he's resourceful by like you know doing the things in the scene to keep up with him and to show like he's smart but he may also be like in over his head do you think it was a little bit to separate it from pierce brosnan because pierce brosnan was so iconic for his gadgets i think more than maybe all of the other bonds like pierce brosnan q was so important to his whole era and there's no q in this there's like no real gadgets not like he not really yeah, I think well I think this ties into being this being technically like the first bond yeah. in a way. Like he's he's not molded yet. He's much more of a raw force. Whereas yeah. like Brosnan is like smooth. He's like a smooth yeah. action hero. Um that's why he does a lot of like when you when we go back and watch Goldeneye and stuff like that, he's like sliding around a lot and firing his gun. I can't wait to see that that movie. <laughs> that's the one I think I'm most excited for coming up. Yeah, it's gonna be great. Um but yeah, so but this is we're seeing the early stages of Bond where he's a brute character and he's just kind of he hasn't learned yet. And by the end okay. of this movie, he learns a lot. And so that's I think that's I think that's why he's like this in the in the scene. Um, so he basically kills the bomb maker at the end of the scene, uh, takes his phone, though, because he sees the message that he got. Um, then we cut back. to uh, We have uh, M is reintroduced. Mm -hmm. uh, Judy Dench. Um, I like her assistant, the guy from, he's in Game of Thrones. Uh, he's, uh, what's it, Catelyn's brother. It was such a smart thing to keep Judy Dench on. Yeah. No, I think, I think she's a good, consistent force yeah. on the show. M has always yeah. kind of been that way, both in the movies and the books. 
And so I think it's, I think it's great. Um, but she's always, she's a great actress and she's great in all the scenes she's in. <laughs> um, so then, and basically like, yeah, so England is mad that Bond shot up an embassy <laughs> and he's, you know, disappeared. He breaks into M's house and uses her computer to search uh, where the message was sent from the phone. Uh, and that brings him to the Bahamas. Yeah. But before that, we are introduced to Le Chief. Le Chiffre. Le Chiffre. Mads Mikkelsen? Mads Mikkelsen. Uh, so this was... I haven't seen this movie... I saw this movie maybe once after it came out in theaters. Like, I saw it in theaters and I saw it maybe one other time. Haven't seen it since then. I did not remember that Mads Mikkelsen was in this. And I did not remember that Jeffrey Wright was in this. The second <laughs> I saw Mads Mikkelsen, I go, Oh, right. He's he's awesome. He's a great character actor. He's great. I think there's a reason why he's so in demand now. I think he, you know, I think he's he can just kind of fill any role, and he just does yeah. it really well. And it's interesting compared to the Lashif in the in the movie versus the book, because in the book he's portrayed as this kind of fat Russian. Is he Russian or French? Oh, he's French. I think yeah. He's like he's a fat French guy who is just kind of a gross asshole. <laughs> And this one, he's more of like a kind of he's kind of a wimpy nerd, but he's also very intimidating. Right. Um, but I liked all his stuff. So the chief in this in the movie, he is taking money from warlords, terrorists and stuff and la- laundering it into the stock market and trying to make money for, you know, all these bad guys around the world. Uh, that's the kind of hint we get with him in the book. It's he's just uh, he works for the Russian government, I believe. And then he essentially is investing a bunch of brothels in France. Yeah. Classic villain plot. Yeah. <laughs> so, um, yeah. And then uh, anything else about Le Chief or so far before we get move out? Boom on. Or? Uh, I mean, he had the bleeding eye thing, which was weird. Yeah, but that's the thing with Bond villains. They're all, a lot of them will have a physical, just, you know, trait to them. Um, yeah. Especially, it's more, it's just more notable in the books is that they have a type of deformity or some type of physical thing that makes them different. Um, like in the next book, The Let Die, it's Mr. Big, and he's a big fat guy. <laughs> and, you know, goes on from there. But, um, with Le Chief, yeah, I've, I've nothing much more to say. He's great. Love Mads Mikkelsen. Uh, so we get the whole Bahamas stuff, which I thought was great, except for when Bond drives a Ford Focus. <laughs> um, yeah, the Bahamas were cool. They were also weird. It was so like the first this Bond babe is introduced um, on the horse. Yeah. Yeah. And this whole sequence, I don't remember any of this being in the book. Like at least no. not to this extent. No, no I think right. they, okay. they had not to, at all. They had to stretch out. I think this part of the story a bit and make it more like a traditional movie where Bond is on a mission. He's trying to. But it feels like all they did was just this whole sequence was like just to show that the bad guy is bad because like he kills the guy like and the woman gets killed and then Bond is. Yeah, going after him. Well, no, it, it, I think, but you have to sort of. It has to be more of like a, a mission around the world. I think for the movies, whereas okay. in the book, it's like they. It's kind of already set up that Lashif needs money and is basically staking a giant bet at 
Casino Royale. And that's, you know, Bond is recruited to take him down because he's the best card player in, in the service. So, but in the movies, because we've sort of had how many decades prior to Casino Royale coming out, it's like they've set the, the, the sort of the model of Bond will get a mission. It'll take him to probably two plus locations around the world as he tries to figure out what the villain is trying to do. So I think once the whole Miami airport thing, that plot line is over, then it kind of kicks into what is exactly the, the, the book, the book plot basically. Right. So, um, I liked all of the card game stuff. Now the, the replacing of the money. So like the, the, the ultimate thing that you have to do in the book versus the movie is, um, he has to win money from La Chifra. He basically has to dry him out. So then right. he has nowhere to go and he will flip to the British Secret Service. Because otherwise, right. Schmersh is going to come after him. So there's a whole thing in the books where they teach you how to play Baccarat. Yeah. And that's the card game that they're using instead of Texas Hold'em. Yes. Now, Christian, do you know how to play Baccarat after reading this book? Uh, I mean, I couldn't rem- tell you now, but at the time I did, like during yeah. <laughs> during the book I did, because they, they teach you how to play. And I, this was the thing. I thought that sequence was great in the book because it made it feel very like Ocean's Eleven-y, where, yes. you know, in Ocean's Eleven, when they're like, we're going to have to do this, and then we're going to have to do that, and we're going to have to do this, and then we're going to have to do that. And so you're like watching it playing out, knowing like if one of these dominoes doesn't fall, like everything kind of falls apart. And like, you know, like how the games are supposed to work. And I felt like changing it to poker and then not even at least having some kind of an explainer, although I know that could be kind of lame. I feel like there was a fun way they could have done it because it took a lot of the tension out of the card game. Because while you were watching it, you almost had to wait for their reactions to know like who <laughs> was winning. You know what I mean? Yeah. Well, see, Baccarat in, in in its form is way simpler to understand than Texas Hold'em. I just I don't think I don't think the tension of the game translated, and I think it's for me it's the biggest. I I love this movie, but it was the biggest disappointment because in the book in a in a book where they're telling me what cards are being drawn this that and the other yeah. it's like i have to pretend to see this it somehow came across amazing and then in the movie where you can see it so they don't even have to use like all that exposition like it just i don't feel like the tension of the card game landed yeah because it was like just playing off of their reactions the whole time yeah i mean if you don't already play t- poker it's a very difficult game but I mean, I know how to play Texas Hold'em and it's still like kind of watching it because like I didn't know every time what the hand like what the river was like. I, I was like, OK, well, what's on the table? Yeah, there was and a then part what where like all three of them like put down their cards and one keeps beating the other. And right. And yeah, it was just for like everyone was like, <gasps> but then and then you were waiting for the dealer to be like full house, full flush. Then, like, what I would have liked to see was I would have liked to see like when Jeffrey Wright's character gets knocked out. Or when uh, Vesper is talking to, um, oh my goodness, what's his name? Uh, Renee, when he's talking to Mathis. Yeah, Mathis, yeah. When Ve- when Vesper and Mathis are watching the game go down and everything, I would have liked them to almost be like like watching from the side and him being like, oh, if he gets like a nine, like he can only get this. or Like some way of uh, of dictating that to us because every other part of it was great like visually the card game was amazing like the 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 acting james the other, did here was the good. other every time like he had to get up like jeffrey wright's character all, all the others all the people at the yeah table. all the other weirdos at the table <laughs> yeah like mr fukutu and it was so good 
<laughs> yeah, it was it was it was really fun. And um, let's I guess dive into some of these other characters. So we got Vesper Lind played by Eva Green. Yes. Uh, I like Eva Green. I like her way more without her makeup on. Like she mm-hmm. wears way too much eyeshadow for most of the time. So there's a scene where they're getting ready in the bathroom before the big game, and she looks fantastic. Well, it's she has makeup. She's she has makeup, but it's different. It's more mat- natural looking. That's yeah, you mean you don't want her made up like a doll or like a goth goth doll. That's basically <laughs> sure. Basically. No, she's a very beautiful woman. Of course she is, because they make her a Bond girl, which is a thing. No, but uh, but also on top of that, Vesper Lynn, I I just love the scene, her introduction, them on the train, all that stuff. Like she's a great character. Yeah. Um. Their their dialogue back and forth is amazing. Uh, in the book, obviously, she's not as because uh, <laughs> she's not part of the treasury in the book. She's just a, I guess, a, an assistant sort of issued out from MI6 to help Bond and Bond hates her basically at first. <laughs> and she's kind yeah, of. Yeah, but a, she's like a she's she's like a, almost like a code like she knows tons of different codes like. Uh, that's right. She's like, a code. Woman. She's a cipher. Yeah, that's right. But she, but but she's kind of out of her element in the book story, and so she's a little bit like, "What's that? What's happening? What's going?" Well, yeah, she's almost like someone you would want to contact from the field, and she would like either help you connect to someone like through an encrypted line, or she'd be able to decrypt like she because she's a cipher. But I guess they need her there on site, so it's like you know, she, you're taking like the tech person and putting them on site, sort of a thing. Yeah, you're bringing your phone with you, basically. <laughs> <laughs> into the field back in the day back in the 50s you had to bring an actual person was your mobile phone if you're a spy now, vesper vesper is who he names the drink after yes i like how the drink is like gold in this no yeah it looks great i want like have you had a vesper martini before i have not you could just order one i'm assuming now yes you can. nowadays yeah okay it's strong maybe i'll try it yeah it is a strong drink he so in the book, he spends a lot of time like he's like, oh, I'm, I'm looking for a name for this drink I've developed versus in the movie. He just like he's trying to look cool at the table. So he's like, I'm going to just order something. <laughs> and you could tell he's like making it up on the spot to just sound fancy. But then when he gets it, he's like, that's quite good. But then everyone else at the table is like, I'll have one of those as well. Yeah, everyone's like, uh, uh. And then and that's what the <laughs> Schieffer gets so pissed. He's like, can we get back to the game now? Um. Uh, yeah, I like uh, Vesper's great uh, Mathis. Mathis is in the book, right? I, I kind of forget. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. he's in the back. But he he's not, he, uh, obviously in the movie, they add the they add in the fact that he, like, sort of, like, where it's unclear if he betrays Bond or not. Right. In the book, it's not. He's just part of the, no. yeah, for right. the police. Um, then there's Felix, obviously, Jeffrey Wright, Felix Leiter, who pops up a bunch, both in the books and the movies. Um, I, he's not really, I, he didn't stand out to me in the book too much. Uh, he's not that big of a character in it other than he obviously stakes, you know, Bond's game. Um, he's like, I love Jeffrey Wright, you know, both obviously we've done Westworld and yeah, I had no idea he was in this. I was so excited when I saw him as Felix. He's great in this. He's like, yeah, it's like Felix Slider, brother from Langley. (laughs) Yeah. I, when he, when he started talking to Bond, I was so pumped. Yeah. He's great. Um, there's another guy that's not in the in this in the movie, but in the book uh, that Bond befriends at the table. It's like a businessman, like an American businessman. Um, I don't know. If, I forget his name. But the only reason I say this is he comes up later in Goldfinger because he oh. he ropes Bond into Goldfinger. But he was introduced in Casino Royale because he was huh. 
He preferred as if, table. As if like they were going to do uh, a Goldfinger remake in the current. <laughs> Maybe. <It's, laughs> that'd be funny. But yeah, basically at the beginning of Goldfinger, he, Bond runs into that guy again in Miami and he's like, hey, this guy Goldfinger, he keeps like winning me at a card game. I think he's cheating. You want to help me out? Like figure oh. out what's going on. That's how he gets roped into that. So, um, but anyways, um, yeah. So thinking this. Um, the small moments I really liked, um, the, uh, after Bond fights off those, uh, African warlord guys, um, yeah. I love in this movie, they show the aftermath, a lot of the action scenes. Yes. Um, so much time in action movies. It's like, you know, the, the hero kills a bunch of people and then kind of leaves or cuts the next scene. And this one they spend a lot of time on the repercussions of his actions, yes. which is great. So it's like him having to get rid of the bodies. And then also it's like him trying to get cleaned up and get back to the game. I, I loved all that stuff. And right. <laughs> and there's also the scene with Emma at the beginning, who's just like, are you kidding me? Like American agent murders, like unarmed man sort of a thing. Yeah. Remember that scene? Yeah. Well, it, That's when M's introduced. It's just like, you never hear about James Bond getting in trouble. But he's kind of always getting in. He, you do actually. It is a very common thing. Like in the news? No, 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 not me. Oh, I, th- I thought you meant like in, in like M never reprimands him. Like M always. Oh no, M's him. always reprimanding him because he's a he's a fucking crazy agent. But I think when the newspaper's like MI six, like well, it doesn't even say MI six, but it says like British agent uh, murders unarmed man, like unarmed suspect. It's like ooh, not good. Yeah, it's like it's it's sort of like um, Bond is like uh like the avengers and he's he's been kept a secret for a yeah, bit basically yeah <laughs> but every now and then some news will leak out basically um, and that's what she's trying to keep it under wraps but yeah it's it's usually seen seen like that and both there's this there's a part where bond is cleaning himself up and then later there's like i think really nice uh shower scene not like a sexy shower scene like a sad shower scene with vesper and bond kind of sitting in the shower together because she's was so sort of freaked out by what she saw um in that fight so which i thought was great um i really like the moment where um after bond is he's knocked out of the game by lashif you mm-hmm. know he's all his money he's like desperate and like <laughs> i love how his he's he doesn't have more options left he's like i'm just gonna stab this guy <laughs> yeah it's nuts <laughs> and that's when felix slider stops him <laughs> But it's like, I was like, oh, yeah, Bond, you know, Bond would do, like an agent would do that. He's like, I'm all out of options. I should just kill this guy. You know, if I if I can't take him in, I might as well just, you know, do do the uh, the crown a favor and just kill him. But. Yeah, I think, um, you know, we should just I guess like the easiest way to break those down, because there is a lot of um, there's like three cutaways from the game where they go to they play in the game, they leave, they play the game, they leave, play, and then it finally like resolves. So we should just go through those. So the first one, the first one, is that the attack on James? No, well, uh, Lashif is attacked by the warlord guys, and then James stops him, but then he has to f- clean himself up. Then there's the second right. pause, which is uh, Bond is poisoned. Right. And that's by Lashif? Yes. Okay. So he poisons himself. Why didn't he just let Lashif get killed? Um, because they want, because the thing is, they wanted, they needed they him want alive. His info. Yeah, yeah, okay. they wanted his info, and I think that's what makes it even funnier later when he, when Bond's like, "I'm just going to stab him." He's like, well, "Screw that, <laughs> screw the mission." Yeah. <laughs> um. Uh. 
Yeah. So when bon, when Bond gets uh, poisoned when he's when he's dying, um, I just like the you know the, like the light moments of a brevity in, in action where he forgets to plug in the defibrillator. <laughs> well, I don't know if he forgot to plug it in as much as it just like the cable had come out. Yeah, it all popped out basically. And he, like, yeah, I don't think like, <laughs> but that was nuts. Like watching him have to shock himself back. Yeah, and Vesper gets to save him and. Yeah. Um, and then he like cut and it does the cut where he like is back to his normal self coming back to the table. It's yeah. great. And then Lashif, except he's like real sweaty. Yeah. And the chief just can't like say anything. <laughs> yeah. I, you know, the thing I don't understand is he got soaked when he got into the shower with his suit on and then he shows up with another suit on. He's he went through how many suits in this? I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. At but he was three. shocked at the beginning that she had a tailored suit for him. It's like not only did she have a tailored suit for him, she had like Mold a dozen tailored. <laughs> yeah, um, I definitely anticipated that one. Yeah, I love when Felix uh, when they when he buys him back in and he's like, "You're gonna do that?" And he's like, "Does it look like we need the money?" <laughs> yeah, <laughs> American joke. We got all the money <laughs> in the world. We're all in debt. Who knows? Um, yeah. So then after Bond wins. He basically he wins the whole thing. Um, then he thinks uh, there's a whole thing with now with um, Vesper gets kidnapped and Bond has to chase him using his uh, Aston Martin. Uh, in the book, he chases like basically they they kidnap Vesper. He chases them and then he crashes his car just kind of randomly. I think it, I think it's because he's driving too fast. And this one in the movie they. Lashif puts Vesper on the road, which causes him to right to crash. Um, which I great. I think it was like a, I think it's a Guinness World Record of car flips in a in a movie. <laughs> oh, at least until like Fast and Furious Nine. That's true. But I think I think an in movie stunt versus like something that's you know done over multiple shots or mm. you know it's like a one take thing. But um, and then Bond gets pulled out of the car unconscious or like he's like beat up and uh. Math, uh, she says something strange, which doesn't really like it's the one thing that doesn't really make sense in the movie. And he goes, I believe that your friend Mathis was my friend Mathis, but that's not the that's not true because we end up learning that Vesper was the one, right? So it's like, why would he even say that? <laughs> that's like the one confusing part of the movie. Um, well, because we know he wasn't actually hurting Vesper because Vesper was working for her, yeah. So maybe Vesper had struck a deal at the beginning of being like, get him to just give up the codes and like, we'll let him go. Because at the beginning, he really just wanted the money. He didn't give a shit about James Bond. No, no, I get that. It's just sort of if. So he needed someone to turn on, like, on, you know, so like, I think they were making Mathis a scapegoat to cover for Vesper. Yeah, I, I, I get it. But then it's it like, probably her plan. OK, but I guess I assume that like he. He's not going to kill, I guess, like, I guess unless Bond in a theoretically gave up the code, right. the money and then was let go, he would then go after Mathis and then not on Vesper or something, I guess. That's, that's what I'm saying okay. is that I think that was like the plan that they were setting yeah. up. There. It, it just felt a little weird in the moment because actually uh, the, definitely is. it didn't actually feel weird in the moment because it kind of like you don't know Vesper's betrayed. Yet. Right. And so you're like, oh yeah. But then once you're like, think about it, you're like, wait a minute. And then James Bond is naked 30 seconds later and things are weird anyway. Yeah. I mean, this is a great scene that comes up where. The, I could not believe this was in the book. Yeah. Like no. when I saw this in the movie, I'm like, this is twisted and sick and weird. And then when it was in the book, I was like, what? Yeah. It's a great scene. 
it's very strange how they talk about like you'll no longer be a man like it's very like <laughs> you yeah know? i mean they make lashif very just especially in the book it's he's way i think he's much more like sadistic oh yeah um in the movie it's mads mickelson plays it much more i think he plays it much more subtly which i think is i think yeah. better um, for those that need a reminder, they tie James Bond to a chair where they cut the bottom of the chair out. It was like a a wicker chair. Yeah. Yeah. Like a wicker chair. And he's naked. So then the Shifra, Mads Mikkelsen, is whipping Bond's balls. Yeah. With a with from a, under with the a, chair with a knot of rope. Uh, yeah. From a ship <laughs> uh, to which James will never give up the answer. Uh, at one point, he hears screaming in the other room and he's like, oh, like, you know, thinking about what they're doing to Vesper. Uh, and, you know, the is like, you know, I'll make you a deal. Like, if you tell me, I'll save her. And, like, James still not going to do it. Uh, I thought it was funny when James is like, to the right, to the right. And, like, he hits his right balls. And he's yeah. like, starts laughing at him, being like, oh, I got you to scratch my nuts. Yeah. it's It just kind of shows that, like, in the end, it's he, Lashif can't win. And, right, you know, he's been trained to, this is his job is to, die for the mission right and stuff and so um and just like in the book uh james is saved by uh when an outsider comes in and shoots the chief in the in the book it's a russian agent mr white yeah in the movie it's mr white but in the book it's an, it's a russian agent for smirsh which is the organization it's like the their version of mi6 um and in in the movie, it's Mr. White, who's the one that set up the meeting in the beginning and kind of is pulling the strings and is a, I guess, a a hint for Spectre is the right is the organization. Um, then in the book, though, uh, the agent burns his sig- signal, uh, his uh, symbol into Bond's hand. He doesn't right. he doesn't kill Bond, but he's like, I'm going to bra- brand you. So if any of our agents ever run into you, we know that you've that you're you're an agent and We'll kill you basically <laughs> so uh which is great i uh, i wish they did that a little bit but that would have been too much <laughs> yeah and then so after all of this takes place uh bond is saved just like in the books he wakes up in the hospital um you see him sort of being taken care of uh he is recuperating over quite a long period he falls in love with vesper, vesper yeah uh who after the whole thing happens with Mathis, when Mathis gets arrested, yeah, um, James basically is saying to Vesper that like he wants out. Yeah, he's like, I don't want to be an agent anymore. I think it's right. I'd rather be with you. And he, you know, I'll leave this profession for you. And right, yeah, I think some people can. Com- I think complain about this part of the movie being a little too slow and a little long because um, it kind of just starts to feel like a different movie. Uh, but it's important. Yeah. No, I know. I think it, it, I think it is super important. I think, and it's also a nice change of pace um, for a lot of movies, especially a lot of action movies like like uh, of similar form, where you're just constantly building up to the climax. And it's kind of cool to see a movie in which you kind of have a a mini climax, and then there's sort of a, a second phase of the twist, um, which I thought was great. And the twist is that Vesper is, uh, you know, betraying Bond. Right, which in the books, um, before the betrayal is found out, Bond, when he talks back with MI6, he tells them, like, that he thinks he's done. And they're like, why? And, like, they debrief him and everything. And he's saying how, like, it's hard to tell the good guys from the bad guys anymore and stuff like that. 
But then after all of this happens, he's just like, no, like I'm, I'm back. His, his heart's been hardened. Yeah. And um, in the book, you don't find out how she dies. It sounds like he kills her. Like he reads her note that she left him and then he calls I think like it, the agency. Is it implied that she drowns? Like she drowns herself? It's really kind of hard to understand what happens. Yeah. But yeah, there are implications of that. Because her whole thing was like, oh, I could run, but they'll kill me. And like, I could hide and like, I could try and take you with me. But like, it all has bad outcomes. So she knew she just had to go away. Um, and he's he calls her a bitch. Like, he's pissed at her. Whereas the way this ends. So there's the huge, amazing chase scene. They're in um, Venice. Venice. And there's this whole great, 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 great sequence where one of the buildings gets blown up bond shoots out the uh yeah it's it's under renovations and he it's he destroys like the things keeping it afloat and so it starts to right. sink into the uh the sea basically the correct <laughs> correct and it's really cool watching the building go under but there's this weird sequence where she's in a cage she locks herself in the cage yeah she gets stuck in the elevator the old elevator yeah but she locks herself in because because she knows that if she survives they're not going to stop coming for both for her but and at for the him. end of it it seems like she had regret it <laughs> i think she did no i think i think she's what what she realizes is that if she had just given over the money to that that eye patch man getler um and they had just and everything would have gotten away like she, she would have at least had maybe done her deed and, and would have been absolved of what right. choosing but because bond interrupted it it's kind of like well now it's like we're fucked like well now it's like Correct. everything's screwed up now i'd like there's no out for me other than dying right so because now bond's going to basically either kill me or turn me in or the you know this group mr white's group is going to come kill me it was pretty brutal watching him try to break into the cage and save her and then yeah. he pulls her out but can't resuscitate her and you see basically her running out of breath and like start to go lifeless which is yeah it's it was it was rough yeah to watch um and then there's also that shot of mr white who has the real briefcase yep and he's watching it over um yeah quick thing about the cool house seeking uh sinking uh it was actually a model a miniature uh that they shot you know like and then they cgi'd it into the act like real sort of place oh, where it's awesome been. yeah so great uh reminder that modeling and uh physical miniatures are uh still an a-okay thing to do in movies <laughs> everything doesn't have to be in a computer yeah um then yeah basically M he tells M that the the bitch is dead and you kind of see him being like okay i'm gonna accept my accept my role as an agent um even though he realizes that vesper did leave clues for him to find mr yes. white Yes. And that's how the movie ends on a great button of a scene where he finds Mr. White at his like Vienna I know, estate <laughs> and, and shoots him in his leg. And he's like, that's where you get the iconic, you know, the name's Bond, James Bond. Yeah. But doesn't kill him. Nope. Because he needs him alive. Yeah. Um, which is great. And that's it. That's Casino Royale. I liked it a lot. Yeah. No, I think this is definitely the best, if not one of the best Bond films. So. I warn you, Christian, that from the next few on out are going to be a little strange. <laughs> well, so I heard Roger Moore was bad, but I think the person I was thinking of was Timothy Dalton is the one people don't like. Is that um, the Bond people don't like? There's like one Bond people really don't like. I mean, everyone kind of like 
Roger Moore is charming. He's got a lot of really good aspects to him. His movies are a little too campy, though, and that's his biggest problem. Um, maybe it's George Lazenby. Yes. So we'll we'll get to that when we get to it. But George Lazenby did one movie, Honor Majesty's Secret Service, which is actually the best book or one of the best books. And also as a movie is actually a really, really good movie for being 1969. But he is such a like non like character. Like he is so dull in it. (laughs) But what's happening around him is really awesome in that movie. And it's got it's got Diana Rigg in it, who is uh, Olena Tyrell. Oh, a, a young, that's exciting! Young Diana Rigg. I'm excited for Timothy Dalton. I've never seen any of his because he plays a uh, evil spy in the TV series Chuck. He's like the ultimate. He's like pretty much one, if not the ultimate bad guy in the series. And he's the bad guy in uh, Hot Fuzz. So, <laughs> yeah, I, I'm like actually excited. For that. Dalton, Dalton's uh, actually awesome. pretty good. Very cool. But, you know. Um, anyways. We'll, uh, I guess, so by order of the movie, the next, the next uh, book we're going to cover and movie we're going to cover is Live and Let Die. So With Roger Moore? Roger Moore. So, uh, Christian, why don't you let the people know where they can uh, keep hearing your voice? I'm at Christian underscore Humes everywhere on the internet. And I'm uh, John Murphy, and you can find me at the John Murphy on Twitter, John Paul Murphy on Instagram, and JohnMurphyWrites.com. Until our next mission, John. Hey, that's not so bad after all. 